0: Hello, welcome to Conversations in Calvinism. Yeah. I'm Dan Chappa and I'm joined by my good friend, Turton Fan. How's it going, Turton Fan? It's going great. Great to be with you. My attempts to take over the channel last time didn't work out, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, will, I will try again. So um, today we are back, and I still have been reading through um, Dr. Oric, Dr. Uh, Jim Oric's book, um, Mere C- Calvinism. And he is going through the five points of Calvinism now on the chapter on total depravity. I mostly agreed with him; I just disagreed on some implications. But I got to his chapter on unconditional election, and I wanted to talk about a little bit about that. He uses two primary texts: Ephesians one and. Um, Romans chapter 9. Um, perhaps at some point we can do an episode on Romans chapter 9 as well, but I did want to dig into his comments on Ephesians chapter 1. I know that we've discussed them before, so um, it'd be interesting to hear Dr. Oryx's thoughts on the um, on the, the passage and then kind of go through them because I think he has his own way of uh, approaching things, which is really interesting, and and sometimes it's helpful to just hear a separate point of view. Um so I guess uh, before we launch in, do you have any uh, anything in general before we uh, look at uh, Dr. Orrick's work?
1: Uh, no, no. Thank, thanks to everybody for who, who's tuning in. These are fun conversations. This is in the Calvin conversations in Calvinism series. So we we do welcome. I mean, ideally, we'd love to have comments that are right on topic. But thanks. Uh, like in the last episode, someone had a kind of off-topic comment about Galatians three and. That's fine, and any questions you have, we'll try to answer. We do have a time limit today, so yeah, bring them, bring on the questions. That's <laughs> right. So,
0: okay. Um, with that said, let's uh, let's see how this goes. Like that? Yes, perfect. Okay, so once again, the the work is called uh, the book is called "Mere Calvinism" by Jim Scott Oric, and he is a professor of. Uh, theology, and I'm trying to remember. I actually had, uh, just looked that up, um, and I apologize, Dr. Orc, if you're listening, and Dr. you are, But oh, oh, so he is a professor at Boys College in Louisville, Kentucky. So, in any case, let's uh, let's dive right into what he has to say about Ephesians one. Now, I will say um, he. Uh, had more to say about Ephesians 1, but I thought these were the um, arguments that were most interesting and, and the ones that I'd like to dive into in terms of how this passage, um, how how he uh, Dr. Oreck views this passage as teaching unconditional election. So um, for starters, just reading the text, and I think this is versus uh, Ephesians 1, 3 and for blessed be the God and Father, our our Lord Jesus Christ, who who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, So the passage goes on. It actually talks about predestination in the next verse. But. For the time being, I guess let's talk about this notion of election in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, um, and I'll just read the first two bits here. Um, Note first the pervasive influence of election. Every spiritual blessing is here connected to God having chosen us in Christ. Election is not merely some optional garnish on the main dish. Election is the process God used to plan the meal. Okay, I like that analogy. Um, Makes me hungry. And, also notice that god chose us before the foundation of the world this strongly intimates that his choosing was not based on something we had done or anything that he in his omniscience foresaw we would do in other words he chose us unconditionally okay let's pause there okay so for starters i thought it might be helpful to talk about this phrase before the foundation of the world before we get to the actual election bit um, because sometimes people have a challenge with this phrase and what it means. And it's usually discussed in terms of, well, God is outside of time or God is outside of time before or sans creation. And so how can there be a before the foundation of the world? Doesn't that ply, imply a temporal sequence? And I think I think that's... Um, an unnecessary complication when it comes to this text now i know open theists are so concerned about it that they want to say that before the foundation of the world relates to the fall or the consequences of the fall or something like that but i think that's unjustified but just this i think the simple that this the straightforward idea is look before creation or, or sans creation if you just list out everything that exists the only thing on that list is god and then God creates. And then after God has created, you list everything that exists, and it's God in creation. And there's a change that's happened in between those two states. So state one, only God exists. State two, God in creation exists. And in between is this action of creation. Now, I think it's true if you just isolate down, if you just look at a soda straw and just isolate down on state one by itself, God stands creation, the concept of time doesn't make sense because there's nothing there's, there's like, you know, there's no sun that the earth is orbiting around or, you know, that sort of thing. So some in some sense, you need change to have time. And so if you just look at God before creation, there's not a clock that's kind of going, um, I think. So I think that part may be accurate. But once you have the two states and you compare them here, here it is. God alone existing, and then the action of creation, and then God in in creation existing, then you can say relative to God existing with creation, that God without creation is before. And so I don't think that there's an issue with, with just us understanding this concept of before creation. It's just, you know, relative to creation, this happened before, or this was before. This is a prior state. Anyways, I don't know if you had any thoughts around that. Um, but I, I know people get wrapped around the axle on it and and I don't see I don't
1: see why. I'm not sure why people get wrapped around the axle. I suspect that if we're talking about open theists getting wrapped around the axle, that will be because of their understanding of God as a time-bound changing being something like the creation and that's not uh, that that's going to you know potentially that's going to create some issues for them i i suppose but i'm not sure why for anyone else this would you know should create any kind of serious obstacle okay okay fair fair enough
0: so Okay, so with that said, now now that um now that we finished agreeing with each other, we can <laughs> we can start disagreeing heavily. Okay, so the idea that okay, we were chosen before creation, therefore it was unconditional, or that suggests that it's unconditional, I think to me it doesn't make sense because what was chosen? Us. Now so if, if the argument is based on the fact that we didn't exist then what's being chosen nothing right and thats so that's the problem so God chose us so I think there has to be some type of projection forward of what of, of us otherwise God can't choose us and so I, I I don't see that as a strong argument that oh well we didn't we weren't around so it couldn't have been based on our you know anything that God knew about us, it must have been unconditional and based on God alone at that point. I'm like, well, he's not choosing us then. He's choosing something else, but not us. Anyways, that's the way I see that. I suspect you might not agree there, but uh, I'm curious as to what you think.
1: I think we did have some disagreement on this type of thing, maybe even on this specific verse, some time ago. So we talked at that time about how the uh, the selection by God in time past is of us before, you know, it, in an analogous way to how it said that before Jacob and Esau had done any good or evil, God said such and such, with the idea being that it's, not just that it occurred at that time, but it occurred without consideration of the good and evil the person would do. And if I recall correctly, and I could be wrong, it seemed as though I felt, it, I felt very comfortable with separating out who the person is and what the person does. And you felt, more, you felt very uncomfortable with that idea. Like if you separate out the things the person does, all their acts, all, the, all their deeds, are you even, even talking about the person? I don't know if you still have that feeling or maybe I misunderstood it at the time. Uh, but I I wonder if that's where there's some, uh, disconnect there. Well, that's possibly there so
0: that, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I, I think who, what we do is part of our identity, but, um, I guess that my question would be, let's, let's say for the sake of discussion that, um, is still who we are as opposed to what we do. Well, even who we are, we don't exist. We don't pre-exist. We, we didn't exist before the foundation of the world. So isn't there at least some projection forward, even if it's sans what we do, isn't there some at least projection forward of who we are? God, at least thinking of, well, if I create this person, who they would be if I created them.
1: That's an interesting question. Whether it's if I created them or when I create them. Either.
0: Uh, e- but, e- either, so like, I, I think a superlapsarian would, would probably have to say if, but a a, a lapsarian or infralapsarian could say
1: when. I suppose the, I suppose that, i suppose that if i'm hearing your uh, kind of objection correctly you're, you're saying that regardless of what exactly is taken into account by god in choosing us anyway he's choosing something that doesn't yet exist and he's uh, necessarily uh you know choosing something that doesn't yet exist as though it did and therefore, you know, relative to eternity past, it's something like the future. Now, of course, as I said, t- God is timeless. Eternity past isn't a time before the beginning of time, per, you know, strictly speaking. But we're using the same metaphor of before the foundation of the world that's used in the text. And you know, in, in that time before the foundation of the world, obviously we don't. The world doesn't exist. We don't exist. So God is somehow, as you said, forward projecting something. And if I'm hearing the, I, I think it's one of these kind of camel nose objections, which is to say, if it's okay to say, well, he's, he's projecting forward our existence. Why, why stop at our existence? Why not also say all of the things we do, everything we are, all of our choices, decisions, and so on and so forth.
0: Or our union with Christ. I mean, I I think that's what the text is saying. But if we don't exist and aren't considered as, as existing, I don't know how God is choosing us, and I don't know how he's choosing us in Christ.
1: So I think that's, I think it's probably an insufficiently Or I can understand why it's unsatisfying for him to just say, well, it's before the foundation of the world, so it can't just, that's it. And, you know, just to kind of cut off the disc the conversation or discourse there without getting into kind of more of why, what does he see as the significance of that? Would it be okay with you if I put up the King James of Ephesians one? Please do. Okay. So, let me back it off a little bit. So, of course, there's the the introduction of the book in the King James. It does say, "To all the saints which are at Ephesus, uh, grace and peace." And then we begin at verse three. A, a, a new thought: Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and here the I, there's this, this expression in heavenly places and in Christ are the first introduction of these in uh, phrases. So there's in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him that we should be uh, holy and blame, uh, holy and without blame before him, in love. And then having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And I don't remember if that's a dia or an N there. I could quickly check. Uh, yeah, it's a dia. So uh, so there's an, a prepositional phrase, but not an N phrase there, obviously. And then to the praise of his glorious grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood and so and wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence there's a lot of these in phrases and i suspect that there's a significant amount of divergence when it comes to explaining the significance of those in phrases the the idea that God predestined, I mean, ultimately there's, no matter which way, no matter which approach uh, of interpretation one's going to apply to verse four, it has to fit harmoniously with, for, you know, at least with three through six, probably also through seven, Uh, I've kind of scrolled away, but, you know, uh, the point is the, whatever we however we understand this, we have to understand it in a way that's going to be harmonious, that's going to flow, and that's going to rely on uh, an, an explanation that's going to fit with something that makes sense of Paul's thought, as opposed to just, let's affirm our Calvinism, and hey, this verse looks like a nice place to affirm our Calvinism because, hey, look, verse five uses the word predestinated in the King James translation and predestination is obviously one of these big calvinist buzzwords therefore hey this must be calvinism right that's that way of of looking at it we just see a buzzword and you're like grab hold of it that's not the right way to do the interpretation but i think the the question so go ahead
0: yeah so i just i mean i take it as union with christ um you know, and especially in chapter two of Ephesians, you have that language pretty clearly set where we're reconciled to Christ and that, you know, we're members of his body. The church is, you know, Jesus Christ himself is the the chief cornerstone of the whole building put, put together. It's the sanctuary of God. And I think that that type of language carries on into uh, chapter three of Ephesians as well.
1: But I mean, I just
0: straightforwardly take that as union with Christ. I don't have a problem if it's also kind of this instrumental view that Christ is the instrument by which we're saved, by which you know we're forgiven, by by which you know the, 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 I think that I think those two kind of go hand in hand, and we don't need to you know, split split hairs unless you want to split hairs on on whether it's instrumental or union with Christ. But I certainly think that the the idea is um, it's it's probably a both and, both instrumental in Christ and in union with Christ, our union our union to Him.
1: I guess my question is uh, a lot of I think a lot of the work of the pushback is going to hang on the the understanding of in him and I think a lot of that hangs on the you you know the, what what does this phrase mean this is the uh, heavenly in the heaven uh, it's there's not the play word places isn't there, but it's in the heavenlies. Uh, the uh, the, the I guess there's the uh, hmm. So, if you're what if what you're saying is that the reference to here, the obviously in the in this uh, underlying uh. In this underlying discussion, there's actually, you know, in all blessings of the spirit in the heavenlies, Christ. Uh, if, If you're interpreting that part as union with Christ, I mean, well, I guess my first question is, is that what you're saying? Or are you interpreting that in Christ or, you know, in the heavenlies? Are you interpreting that? some other
0: way i mean i think i think there's a little flexibility in the language in the heavenlies is different than in christ but um i want to say that it says in in chapter two that we're seated in the heavenly places so there's a sort of sense in which it's on already not yet i but I, I i don't i'm not committed to saying that uh, they're both kind of exactly identical that paul had you know kind of this it has to be you know this is this this one sense of in the heavenlies is the same as this sense of in christ but i think in general there's a lot of overlap yeah um the idea that we're seated right now in heavenly places it is it's a spiritual sense we're not physically seated in heaven um but there's this this kind of already not yet it Yes. Okay. There's no question that there's something about our union with Christ that is already and not yet and mystical, not mystical, but spiritual or a mystery to us. We don't fully get it. And the same is true of our being in heavenly places now. But both of those are I think what I what I would say that they have in common that's relevant to this discussion is that they're both future state from the framework of before the foundation of the world. So so I, so, so back to Orlick's ar- argument, I don't I don't take the fact that it's before the foundation of the world as significant justification for th- reading this as an unconditional sense. If anything. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to the mat over this. But if anything, it's it's saying the exact opposite that we're chosen based on who we are. But more importantly than who we are, even though he's choosing us, he's choosing us in Christ, in union with Christ, as members of the body of Christ, in the church, in the collective.
1: I. So. The. You know, when Paul uses this, the what gets translated here, with all spiritual blessings, which is just another of these in clauses, it's not that you wouldn't say that he blesses us on account of the spiritual blessings we have received. It's rather he blesses us and therefore we receive those spiritual blessings. I, I mean, I think that's not really even debatable.
0: I think I, I think I I think I agree with you. Maybe it's the implications where we disagree, but I agree I agree with what you just said. Yeah.
1: So, I think it's, uh, and then that we should be holy and blame before him, in love. Ah, yes. Uh,
0: okay. That that's our like next point. We can get. Well, I mean, happy to jump there if you want. But I there was there's one intermediary point that I wanted to touch on. Um, before we get there if that's okay but if you if you feel like it's important to
1: address that now that's fine and we can just circle back I'm not sure if it will be Oryx's point or not but if if it is then just to just say okay that's what is going to say and and we'll uh, I'll postpone that point or that part of it, the point it, it but, is so
0: uh, just to give a sneak what he's going to say is that faith would be a Part of holiness, so it's not the state in which we're in, but rather the state we're transformed into out of uh, due to this election. I think that's roughly what he's going to say. But we'll see. Uh,
1: well, I'm not sure if that's the same thing as what I'm trying to say. So let me let me just clarify what I'm going to say, which is that that we should be holy and blame uh, holy and blame without him or uh, holy and without blame before him in love. Is not saying that we should be holy and blame, uh, holy and blameless uh, before him, because we have love, but that love should accompany this ho- or holy and blameless state that he desires for us. That that's the point. I I think is less controversial, is that the yeah, relationship like, of the in love to this other part is,
0: yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I mean, that's a. It's an overall. Our part. It's a. It's not just a par, part of it. It's so fundamental, and it kind of like wraps our being holy and blameless uh, is our is our
1: love. Which leaves this the this in this in phrase the in him, it's uh, it's here. Uh, but that leaves the, the question of whether this is saying that he's chosen us. So that we will be in Him, versus He's chosen us because we are in Him, which would be two different ways of taking that simple "in Him" statement. I I think that it kind of boils down to that
0: so that nuance. That that I don't know why it couldn't be um, a both and in that, but because. Um, now, this is the plan of salvation. So this is like part of it is God's choosing to save believers, God's choosing to save those that are united to Christ. Um, so I'm not sh- I, we could we could try to slice it that thinly, but I'm not sure that we have to. Um, but OK, I'm, I'm open to. Your reasoning as to. I guess the pros and cons one way or the other down that down uh, that trail.
1: And I think if we adopt that, the he, that he's chosen us to be in him, that that sense of in him, in other words, that the being in him is part of what he's chosen for us. Then the next verse about having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, that the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself starts to look like a way that we are united to Christ and that if that's the if that's the explanation that he's giving then the 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 kind of the chosen us to be in him interpretation starts to gain more weight as the way that it's uh, to be understood here in verse 4 and then when you add on top of that, that before the foundation of the world, that's yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, so I, may I, I think if I'm hearing you right, so I think there'd be three ways to explain this. So one way would be the lot, the order, the logical order would be the adoption is first. And then comes the union to Christ. The second would be that these are either parallel or synonymous, or the third way would be, it's the other way around. It's, by union with him that we're adopted. And my guess is, I mean, I don't know that we have to wrestle that to the ground, but if we do, the third makes the most sense to me that based on our union with Christ, all blessings, all, those, all these blessings flow based on our union with Christ, including adoption including redemption including um uh, the uh, um all the all these things so it's, it, i think i think union to christ would probably come come first and help explain the others so um okay in, in any case yeah why don't you if you want to have the last word on that point I, uh, we can move on to the next point unless uh...
1: now I, I don't i don't want to jump too far ahead but the, the kind of the ne- the the additional arguments in favor of that, the focus on the in him as being the object chosen, like i.e. chosen to be in him, would then find its support in this. Uh, it, the fair, at least to me, it seems clear that verse six made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the in the beloved might have the same question about is it we're accepted because we're in the beloved or are we uh, yeah. accepted and therefore we're in the beloved. But the next part about in whom we have redemption through his blood, that seems very instrumental in its interpretation. In other words,
0: but, uh, it, it is instrumental, but it's also in you. It's also a sense of, I think it's both. I really do. So yes, Obviously, Christ is the instrument by which we're cleansed by His blood, but the it's also because we're united to Him, and not the other way around. It's not that it's not that we're cleansed and then united to Him. No, we're united to Him and then cleansed. At least that's, at least that's how I say it. You don't have to agree, but you know um, that's the way I look at it.
1: It creates an interesting dilemma, doesn't it? The idea, are, is something unholy united to Christ?
0: Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good question, yes. And that creates the question of what does it mean to be holy and without blame? Um, so, But I, I like your implication, but let's press that against auric together. Because if God isn't seeing us as fallen sinners, then then your question doesn't make sense. If God isn't seeing us as fallen sinners, in that this isn't the rescue operation from being fallen. So the fact that it's before the foundation of the world, well, the fall into sin and the need for salvation at all, we don't need to be saved um, until the fall happens. So there has to be... At least that much of a projection forward that we are fallen in Adam and uh, depraved and needing of salvation and ha- in having both original sin and our own actual sins, which includes part of our history, um, which is part of our identity. It's part of who we are. God
1: so is that was you. Within within Calvinism, that would be an argument for the infra-lapsarian understanding. It would. It and would. does Or take the supra? Is that what you're
0: No, i no, not necessarily. But I, I think I think it, at at least um the before the foundation of the world as justification for unconditional is not making sense to me because minimally God is seeing us as people. But not just as people, but as fallen sinners. Now, perhaps even fallen sinners united to Christ by faith. But that last step, you know, for the sake of discussion, we'll leave off. Minimally, he's seeing us as people and as fallen sinners in need of um, a change, need of a rescue that makes us holy and without blame. Okay. So um, I was wondering if we could go on to one other. Uh, so I had two more things for, for about or- Or-ic. Um But yeah, so let me see if I can. Let me see if I can. Yeah, um, I'll add this in. So I was on Ephesians 2, but let me look this up real quick. I think it's Ezekiel 24.6. Okay. Do you remember... And I'm gonna get myself in the big hot water here. Do you remember James White and Leighton Flowers talking about
1: choice meets? I do remember the, I think, I remember Dr. White playing a clip from Leighton's show in which Leighton used that expression choice meets and tried to seemed to suggest that the elect could be elect because they're more to that desirable than the others. Uh, and that I found it to be a an interesting uh interesting it. argument, but yeah, so go ahead. He got pounded for it. But I'm not gonna argue for choice meats.
0: I'm gonna argue about unchosen meats. <laughs> the opposite. Okay, so um this is uh um, God talking to Ezekiel and there's this pot of meat and I found this usage interesting and I'm not going to say it's the only way this passage is translated and we could argue the details. But uh, Ezekiel 24 6 says, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose corrosion uh, is in it and whose corrosion has not gone out from it. Take out of it piece after piece without making any choice. Okay. Okay. So he's there's a pot it's got a bunch of pieces of meat and God is telling Ezekiel take out the pieces without making a choice between them now what exactly that means I think in, in Ezekiel's context it's it's, it's basically um, don't choose a selection uh, a portion that will not undergo the judgment or something like that but just the sheer language the sheer idea of well if it's unconditional, then it's not a choice, Um, seems to hold good. Now, I I, want to say that there's probably some other sense in which the Calvinist could maintain that what God is doing is a choice or an election, but at least in one sense, it's inappropriate to call unconditional (laughs) this unconditional thing that god does choosing in in this sense it's it's more like this just take pieces of meat out of a pot without choosing so that's why i say this is my reverse argument of uh unchoice meats is it appropriate for calvinists to even consider this
1: unconditional idea as a choice do you mind if I, I uh I read aloud the 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 vision or whatever not I guess not vision, but this uh the pericope that's uh Go ahead. the parable of the boiling pot is how it's titled in this particular edition that I have here. Okay. Yes. So it says again in the ninth month, in the oh sorry, again in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, write the the name of the day, even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day and utter a parable unto the rebellious house and saying to them, thus saith the Lord God, set on a pot, set it on and also pour water into it. Gather the pieces thereof into it, even every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with the choice bones. By the way, just pause here to say this is exactly that, you know, the choice meat, uh, choice the choice bones, the good pieces. Uh, but I, I don't think that has to do with your, the reason for your selection of this comment, because as you said, you're kind of going the opposite way. But anyway, so you take the choice of the flock, again, that kind of, that positive sense of choice, and burn also the bones under it and make it boil well and let them see the bones of it therein. So this this is the, I'm pausing here in the reading So the picture that's being presented is all the good stuff of the meat goes into the pot and the bones and everything else gets burned underneath the pot. Uh, And then it says, wherefore thus says the Lord woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is therein and whose scum is not gone out of it. Bring it out piece by piece, let no lot fall upon it. For her blood is in the midst of her she set it upon the uh, the top of a rock. She poured it not upon the ground to cover it with dust, that it might cause fury to come up to take vengeance. I have, I have set her blood upon the top of a rock, that it should not be covered. Uh, and then there it goes on. It says, woe to the bloody city. I will even make the pile for fire great. Heap on wood, kindle the fire, consume the flesh, and spice it well, let the bones be burned. Then set it empty upon the coals thereof, that the brass of it may be hot and may burn, that the filthiness of it may be molten in it, that the scum of it may be consumed. She has wearied herself with lies, and her great scum went not forth out of her. Her scum shall be in the fire. Uh, in thy filthiness is lewdness, because I have purged thee Thou was not purged. Thou shalt not be purged from thy filthiness any more, till I have caused my fury to rest upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not go back. Neither will I spare, neither will I repent according to thy ways and according to thy doings. Shall they judge thee, says the Lord God. So if I understood this parable correctly in the in this picture, there's this, the good stuff goes into the pot. Some of the bones are so forth are being burned underneath, giving this very uh, nasty smell. But meanwhile, he's actually taking out the meat from the pot, all of the meat, not just like not just some percentage so it says that like in the king james version at six it says let not lot fall upon it uh i think that's a literal translation and i think the uh the, the this other version about what does it say um don't make any choice without making any choice i think that's the i mean it's conveying the same idea that you would make a selection by potentially you would make a selection by lot but he's but in this case, you're just taking out the pieces, piece after piece without, without any d- dis, uh, distinction, no distinction. Everything comes out. And piece additional. after piece. Uh, well, u- universally. So it's one at a time maybe, but it's universally. Everything's coming out. And then eventually the pot is empty. Everything's all, all gone. Everything's burned up. The pot is kind of put on its side, I think, towards the end. And uh, everything's poured out and consumed and burned up.
0: So the reason why I say unconditionally, it's not based on the condition of this piece of meat versus that piece of meat. Don't he's he's saying don't do that. Don't don't take out the big ones and leave the small ones. Don't you know? Don't take out small ones, leave the big ones. Don't take take out the you know the breast and leave the thigh. Like no, (laughs) don't don't do that. So So it's not based on the conditions in the meat.
1: I don't think I think that doesn't work well with that, with the literal statement of the Hebrew there, because the literal statement is by lot, not by lot, which would be a way of doing it that doesn't really have anything to do with the meat. That would be a choice method mechanism that wouldn't rely on, you know, one piece being better than the other. You'd just draw lots and whatever lot, you know, whatever one fell out, that's when you pick. Which so would be an it, unconditional choice.
0: So it, it depends on if the the statement of drawing lots is just a a euphemism or a way to say choose or not. So is this an accurate, is the ESV an accurate translation or not? So does the does the expression for like us throwing dice essentially mean this? It's it's interesting. Actually, we should look at this in Ephesians one eleven. The same usage comes up. Um, it, so I, I think it's worthwhile. We can look at that next. But I think the, gr- the grammatical question, and I'm not uh, ready to solve it, is 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 that just a Hebrewism for make a choice? The well, I, translation I guess interesting mm-hmm. it is. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to uh, clarify that my comment is not that the ESV is wrongly translated. I you know, based on my initial reading of the Hebrew, the King James may have a more word for word literal translation, but that doesn't does. mean that the meaning of is that it's specifically you can't choose by lot, but you could choose some other way. Maybe it's just a general statement you can't choose. But my point is that my point is it goes beyond that. My point is, even if you do choose, it's you the. Even the Hebrew idiom, if it's just an idiom, uh, points to a way you could choose that wouldn't be about the meat. In other words, lots.
0: Yeah, it, yes. Um, well, I don't, so, interesting. So um, if you don't, can you, um, can you pull the Blue Letter Bible back in?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's go ahead and look at that. Oh, um, can you look up, uh, so Ephesians 1, but instead of verses um four and five let's look at verse 11 because i think it has a a similar in greek not hebrew a similar idea um so in whom we have obtained an inheritance let's look at the greek behind obtained an inheritance because i think it's the same thing it's basically roll dice um so maybe you can see more of the screen than i can but uh yeah, cast lots. Yeah, from the choose, choose by lot. Yeah. So to it, a lot, you know, <laughs> that's a lot. lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> an allotment. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe that's where it comes from. I, I don't know. It, you know. Anyways, entomologies are fun, but, um, but yeah, no, that's It's an interesting usage that that would be a hit. Yeah, an idiom for choosing or for assigning a section um my my guess is you know maybe way back in the day you know hey should you take this piece of land should I take lesser roll dice for it I, I don't know it could some you know who knows how these things get started but for some reason yeah it's it, it is fascinating to me that this idea of of lots is, sometimes used of human choices when it's not the way i would say it but that's the way
1: they said it so you know anyways it's it, it is fascinating to me so, so you're uh, let me see if i follow the the argument so in whom we have obtained an inheritance which you know in if we were to uh if we were to use a word with a more similar uh uh with a more similar english etymology we could say in whom also we have been allotted or uh we've um uh, something like that we have been allotted uh what's that
0: yeah i, I and, and not that not that i think that's a good translation it's probably this is probably the right way to translate it, and the right way to understand it, but the if you press the literal, that's I think what would shake out exactly what you just said, whom we received in a, uh, our our lot.
1: <laughs> I, I guess I,
0: I, you know that's I I, I don't want to say I, I don't want to uh, pretend I know more than I do. I don't know, but let me see if any translations use lot, but I don't think any do. So it's
1: just. It's just that's what it literally means, and I I suspect that verse fourteen might be the you know the contextual reason for focusing on that sense of the term, and you know occasionally the etymology of words is uh, is misleading. In other words, the point in the, the point in Ephesians one eleven might not be that in whom also we have. You know, been chosen by lottery. Uh, Dewey
0: Reams has that interesting. Dewey Reams, ha- which is Dewey Reams, is going to be based on the Latin. Can you pull up um, if you tr- if you hit the tools? It might. Yeah, and, and maybe we're going too far afield. But maybe, maybe I, I need to bring us back <laughs> back on course. But I'm very curious now. Um, what does the Latin say? Um, the Vulgate.
1: Uh, the I don't know if it will be here. Will it?
0: Uh, okay, there it is. Go down, go down just a hair, uh, below web. You go one, one more there. Vocat sumas, vocati sumas. Yes, me I mean, sort
1: of sumas. Yeah, the Sortus is, is the uh called by lot.
0: <laughs> wow. Interesting. 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 Interesting.
1: Uh did did you get the same uh in whom we are called uh in which also we are called by lot? Translation.
0: Yeah, so that yeah, that's that the Dewey Reams had that by called by lot and the um if you look up "sorte" itself, I the first uh, hit I got was "fate, fortune, or
1: luck," but one also says "lot." Um, so that was a um, I posted into the comp in here. The, this is a machine translation of the Vulgate. There.
0: Oh, it's like literally the Dewey Reims. Okay, cool. Um, well, anyways, I will. Yeah. So. I'm getting lot, fate, auricular response, divination, chant selection. Wow. Um, Okay. I I mean, frankly, um, nuances of the Latin isn't going to really help us because we need to go back to the Greek and how the Greek used it. But um, that really caught my eye that the Douai Reims was the only translation that was using lot. All the other ones, all the ones that are translating the Greek rather than the Latin do, do not say lot. Let me see if there's any that say allotment.
1: Um, the Bible Gateway website has a lot of nice lists of uh, other, other texts if you put in a specific verse. So if you put in Ephesians one eleven, and then you can say see in all English translations. And then so it will have. Like, go
0: ahead. The disciples' literal New Testament has allotted, and there's <laughs> another one that has allotted. It, yeah, there's not yeah. a lot that use a lot, but <laughs> I'm, I'm here all week.
1: Believe it. Alright. Um, anyways, <laughs> that, I, that has, one and I, the uh, the OJB, what is that? OJB it says in Mosheir we have obtained a nachala allotted inheritance and then a reference to Tachilim 16 5 through 6 having been predestined according to i don't know what in the world that's a uh that's the orthodox
0: jewish bible allotted share inheritance cup of blessing interesting OK, well, anyways, I have I have successfully derailed the conversation. So my profusest apologies.
1: Uh,
0: OK, there's no Go. excuse there.
1: No excuse. Yeah. So All right. So
0: I, I, let's get I back to I the subject at have... hand. Yes, yes, yes.
1: And oh, that uh... is Professor Orick's, uh comments. Were there additional points that he raised that you wanted to get to?
0: Yes. So I, I thought this argument was good and made me really think. So he says, or so um, going. To, uh, so I'll start back with the also. Also notice that, that God chose us before the, the foundational world This strongly intimates that uh, his choosing was not based on something we had done or anything that he in his omniscience foresaw that we would do. In other words, he chose us unconditionally. Okay, so that's what we just commented on. However, the next point um is uh is fast was fascinating to me he did not choose us because we are already holy and blameless or because he foresaw we had the initial graces of faith and repentance that come at the beginning of a life of holiness okay so before i had read this comment and, and pondered it you know i just i took it as fairly straightforward you know well it's not talking about obedience I mean, it's talking about obedience to the law, not trust in the gospel promises. But I think there is a sense in which trusting the gospel, believing the gospel, is an obedience to uh, some type of evangelical command, and we we see that you know there's a command to repent, there's a command to believe, and you know faith is a is a virtue. I think. Uh, First Peter calls it um, more precious than gold. So, you know, if, if we, if you look at it from that standpoint, faith has some aspect of holiness to it. Um, And if, if uh, Dr. Oryx's argument, I'm trying to steal man, his argument, it would be, well, God is not choosing you because he sees you as having faith and holiness because of faith, but rather he's choosing you unto any holiness that you have. So it can't include faith. I think that's an interesting argument. And um, I guess I could see this going two ways. The first question I have in my mind is, what does it mean that we're holy and without blame? And is this justification, positional justification in Christ, and it's Christ's righteousness that's being talked about here? Or is it after we're justified and after, well, and we're regenerated and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we start doing good things, um, then we become at least relatively holy and blameless. We're not perfect, but we're better than we were because God's starting to clean us up. Or the third option is, is it talking about a future state in which when we're in in heaven, then we're glorified and we truly are holy and blameless because once we're in heaven and glorified we actually cease from sinning and I could see it I could see an argument for any one of the three but I started to lean when I started weighing it out I think it means the third one that it's our future state in heaven um, okay now if it's the first one let's say it's positional and justification and it's talking about Christ's holiness not our holiness Look, yeah, maybe faith has some holiness to it, but it is not because of any holiness of faith that we're justified. So, you know, that so I I think if it's if it's positional holiness in Christ, then I think um, his or its argument wouldn't work because it's not based on any holiness that we get the holiness of Christ not based on the holiness of faith, that we get the holiness of Christ. So I think there alone probably we have reason to, to question it, whether his argument is good. Um, oh, um, interesting. And then um, I'm sorry, um, we can we can go to Charles's comment here in just a second. But if it's the if it's the third one, um, the future state again i don't think his argument would stand up because that's that's based on a future state after we've gone through a life of doing good doing bad um in in christ so anyways
1: i'll i'll, I'll leave it at that and it looks like some, uh, we have a comment we should probably address here so just as a way of just for from my standpoint if this is the kind of comment you leave there's it. I was very very tempted to just completely ignore the comments after getting that kind of comment, especially with what appears to be two-minute lapse between an originally posted comment and that follow-up. And I say appears to be because I have no idea how much YouTube is giving us. Keep that in mind, please, if you are uh, commenting that your comments sometimes take a while to show up to us through whatever method you're commenting. And if you're commenting through Twitter, they don't come to us at all during the episode just because I don't have time to monitor Twitter at this point. Maybe, maybe in some at some future point, I'll find an efficient way to do that. So Facebook generally, and usually YouTube, and I don't know how much delay is on the YouTube comments. Also, where you are in the video may not be where we are in the video as well. So all that said, there was this question about the preposition N translated as in in Ephesians 1 also has been translated a variety of other ways. What's your justification for choosing in? And I don't know, I this is, you know, when you and I, Dan, have talked about this previously, I think we have, I have talked about how, in my view, a lot of these places where in is translated as in, the authorized version, it might be more precise or more clear to just use by, and that a lot of these, in phrases are actually instrumental. And we even saw in this particular text that the King James doesn't have like one fixed rule that it just automatically it gets chosen to be in because with all spiritual blessings, the with there is actually an an, an N in Greek. So it's not, uh, I I don't know, when you say uh, reflexively translated, yeah, it is natural because of the similar sound between in and N for English translators, just to go to in, and also it's it's often English itself can have an instrumental sense of in. So it's not only you know a nice similarity of sound, but it also has some similar semantic range. So I I don't know if uh, Dan has a more uh, detailed or different answer for that. but I just thought i throw it out there.
0: Well, so in is the most common translation that I'm seeing. Um, so just relying on translators. That that gives me a little bit of comfort. That's right. I don't see a single translation that's using into. Um, yeah, not one is using into. Question of by. Let's look and see if there's any that are using by. Let me back up. No. No translations are using by. What about at? I don't, I don't know. Um, so 33 translations just use in him. I'm trying to see which ones don't use in him. The Amplified Bible uses in Christ as opposed to in him. Another one uses in Christ. In Christ. Yeah, I'm just... So, to be honest, I am... I am somewhat reliant on the fact that so many translators just used in Christ um, without looking at it myself. So, yeah, of course, you know, prepositions are super flexible thingies. <laughs> um, um, but. I guess why sh- why go again? Why would I uh, um, Yeah, why go against almost every translation that there is? That that would be. Uh, So I have one that's in the Messiah as opposed to in him. Um, But everything else is just... Oh, here's one. Ah, so here's an interesting one. The Name of God Bible uses through Christ, not in Christ. So that might... But this is the only that's literally the only one like it. So, anyways, I don't know. It, it if Charles, if what you're si- I guess I guess Charles, I would I would be interesting interested to hear the reason why um why it wouldn't be in Christ or in him, because that seems to be almost the consensus of all translators. So, anyways, I'll leave it at that for now. Unless you um, want to talk more about on that one point.
1: Uh, I was trying to look up something else. Um, I know I. I'm okay with, you know, if somebody wants to challenge the translation of of a verse, I'm okay with that. I do think that. The the authorized version doesn't have any mass you know magical significance but when you start with the authorized version and there's a translation that's provided there i'm less i'm less enthusiastic about an argument that just says why follow what the authorized version says as opposed to saying here's a good reason why we should depart from that and then an explanation for the reason why we should depart from it not that it not that the king james version just magically becomes the the standard but because it is a widely used probably the mostly you know over time anyway the most widely used English translation even today there's lots of people who use it it's uh it's a fairly accurate literal translation and when you combine that with as Dan said several other modern translations that translate it the same way you kind of uh it's just a kind of a question, why why raise the issue? Now, if the point is, because in this context, it does have an instrumental meaning, again, I think that we can, English the English word in can have that instrumental sense as well. And then it becomes a question, at least to my, in my mind, it becomes a question of how much do you want the translator's role to be one of settling a question of biblical interpretation that could be left with the same, if anything, ambiguity as in the source language. And my preference on that is to try to leave in the source ambiguities, if there are source ambiguities and leave the question of uh, interpretation. It's There's obviously, it has to be some interpretation in translation, so you can't completely divorce the two. But I kind of, I like translations that try to avoid too much gloss. I think Dan and I, you and I, I think we talked about some issues that you had identified with, I want to say it's the New Living Translation. Uh, uh, some yes, places, okay. and this was some time ago before we started doing the YouTube videos together. But on the blog, I think you can find it somewhere on the blog where we had talked about it. Maybe we'll talk about it again sometime in the future. But there, the, they, the translators in that case seemed to heavily uh, put their thumb on the scale of one particular interpretation of what the text means to the point where if there is any ambiguity in the in the underlying Greek it's just gone from the reading in a couple of places if I recall correctly so uh, anyway anything else on auric I know you have a hard stop coming up
0: no and uh, uh, yeah I'm going to have to drop off here in a minute but uh, so no I, I think I think that Covers this, the span. It was, it's an interesting uh, discussion point, and it's not all uh, Dr. Ork has to say. I recommend you check out the book, Mere Calvinism. Um, if, if it's possible, I'll see if I can reach out to him, just let him know, hey, we're, we're chatting about you. I don't want to, he, 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 he uh, certainly is welcome to come on here and chat about this stuff, but um, but no, I, I appreciate it. Good, uh, it's good to, to chat with you, get the uh, real time pushback, and um. <laughs> uh so anyways yeah it's 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 been good on my on my side uh, if you want to have the last word on that passage
1: or or anything else uh, fire away nope thanks to everybody who's listening in watching uh subscribing and so forth i apologize to charlie michaels if we waited too long to respond although i do encourage you to please be patient when you leave comments while we're talking we generally get to people's comments but not always so in the event, uh, I, we, do ha- we will plan to have additional episodes coming up in the future. Perhaps some of those will relate to Perseverance of the Saints. I have noticed that I believe it's Charles Jennings, uh, by, I could be mistaken, has been posting some videos that I wanted to respond to. And I will try to respond to those. And it might make sense to have Dan as well playing... Uh, perhaps playing not so much the advocate of the other side but maybe pushing back on my comments to the extent that he seems that he feels that it's appropriate although I think on this particular topic which is perseverance uh, Dan and I agree in substance if not in uh, in all of the details uh, so we'll we'll come back to that topic uh, as appropriate so anyway thanks for everyone who's been watching. And thanks for Dan for bringing this up. So,
0: no, thank you. All right, God be with you,
1: and also with you.